Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, my brothers, my sisters in Christ. I don't know if you've noticed, but eggs are a little more expensive now. How has that affected you? Do you consume a lot of eggs in your household? If you do, this has been a burden, hasn't it? And if this has been a burden on you and your family, I still would wager that you would rather have to pay more for your eggs than that you get sick. Because why are eggs so expensive? Because of a bird flu outbreak. Someone at some point, some poultry farmer at some point noticed the signs they had to stop production. Up to this point, almost 60 million poultry have been infected by the bird flu virus. And the price of eggs is one thing to deal with, but aren't we kind of glad that somebody noticed the symptoms and put a stop to it? That somebody noticed that their chickens were kind of acting a little funny and the eggs that they were laying looked weird? And then they said, this isn't right. And then they took appropriate action. And now poultry farmers are doing a lot to, to try to quell the outbreak. Of course, they want to make money. They want to ship those eggs off. They're not entirely concerned just with your health. But now workers on the poultry farm, they have to shower when they get, get into work. They have to shower when they leave. They have to wear special stuff while they, while they work uh, with the chickens. They want this to stop. And aren't we thankful that they're doing that? That's how diagnosis works, right? Doctors are doing this every day and have been for the last, ever since doctors became a profession. They, they watch the symptoms, they trace it back to the likeliest source, and they take appropriate action, right? That's an oversimplification, but that's all that diagnosis really is. What is the worst problem human beings face? Many would say it is death. Death is a disease, some people say, but the Bible actually disagrees. Death is not the disease. Death is the symptom. The Apostle Paul traces the symptom back to its source, and the diagnosis is scary, but Paul does this so that we can see what action has been taken about this greater disease. Paul says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin. Death is a symptom of the greater disease that is sin. As we heard in our Old Testament lesson, Adam was the first man who was created. He had a simple order, don't eat from this tree. He disobeyed, and then he died. Not in that very moment. He lived a couple years, but then he died. He had kids, they died. They had kids, they died. They had kids, they died. All the way to our generations. No human being, with the exception of a couple, just a couple examples in the Old Testament, has been able to escape death. Why? Because no human being has been able to escape sin, with the exception of Jesus Christ. And we have an aversion to thinking about death, don't we? I don't go around all day long contemplating my death. If you are somebody who, or know somebody who does, that causes a lot of psychological distress. We have an aversion to thinking 
about death. We have euphemisms for death. People's ways of dealing with death, their concept of death, vary greatly. Some people are known to say that death is natural, that death is something to be celebrated. So, uh, a book was published recently that praises death, that chastises the culture for painting death as such a scary thing. The mental gymnastics some of us go through to try to avoid thinking about the seriousness of death are really impressive. But just like we have an aversion to thinking about death, we have an even greater aversion to thinking about and acknowledging our own sinfulness. We don't want to. So we have ways of avoiding it. We have ways of distracting ourselves from our own sinfulness. But Paul says it blankly, all have sinned and all will face death. We can try to avoid thinking about these facts. Just like those farmers, those poultry farmers, likely had a lot of incentives to keep production going with their chickens. They probably had some financial incentive to keep production going. They didn't ignore the signs, the clear signs of bird flu. Because you can ignore the signs, it doesn't mean the problem doesn't exist. Paul said, explains that this problem has been around. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who was a pattern of the one to come. What does Paul mean? He doesn't mean that if you don't have the law, the Ten Commandments, that you're incapable of sinning. He just said that all people have sinned, therefore all people will face death. What Paul is saying in these verses is, is it doesn't matter if you're Moses on the top of Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments in your hand, or you're Adam in the Garden of Eden with God's commands still ringing in your ears, or you're someone else who has no idea about the Ten Commandments or any command of God, sin is still your problem. Sin is still the disease, and death is still the symptom. And death reigns, he says. Because if you're on your own, if it's up to you to take care of your own sin, you can't do anything about it. You can't do anything to solve what we lack. We lack the righteousness, the obedience that God requires. And we can't do a thing to give it to God. Isn't it tempting, as you hear these verses, to look back at Genesis 3 and to look at Adam and say, How could you? What have you done, Adam? Why didn't you just say no to the fruit? Why didn't you just do the loving husbandy thing and stop your wife from taking the, taking the first bite? What were you doing, Adam? And now we are in this mess? Well, hold on. You know that saying that every time you point the finger, there are three fingers pointing back at you? If we're going to put the blame on Adam for his disobedience, we better make sure we're not living in a glass house ourselves because I don't know about you, but we sin all day long. Just like Adam, who disobeyed a command of God, we have clear commands from God to love our neighbor, to put God first in our life, to be, to serve, and to love, and we disobey. So we are just as much implicated as Adam is. Yes, we are born sinful in a way that Adam was not created, but 
we contribute just as much to this disobedience and therefore we are just as much deserving of death. Now, if you have ever used a typewriter, you probably were really excited when computers came along because of one feature in particular, the backspace, right? The undo feature. Because what was it like before? You could sit down at your typewriter and type out your essay or your report with gusto. You could be flourishing with all of your vocabulary, but at the very bottom of the page, you make a serious error. Now what do you do? You get out the whiteout, or do you try to type over it? And if the mistake is bad enough, what do you have to do? You gotta take that page and throw it away and start again. Much nicer now, you just Backspace a couple times, and you're off to the races. God's creation got royally screwed up. It wasn't his fault. God set it up perfectly. He created a perfect garden, perfect people, and they messed it up. We messed it up. How does God respond to the profound lack of righteousness that we have? He doesn't start from scratch cut his losses like those poultry farmers had to do. He doesn't burn us up on the spot. He could punish Adam and Eve right on the spot, cast them out, and then just start with new people, but he doesn't. Instead, what did he do in Genesis 3? He gave them a promise. A promise, not like, oh, if you guys give me the obedience that you were supposed to give me in the first place, then I will love you. No, he says, I'm going to send someone who will crush the serpent's head, who will undo everything that has been done here. I'm going to send a Savior who will take care of it all. The gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Paul is setting up a comparison, isn't he? Jesus is kind of like Adam. Adam is one man through whose actions the entire human race has been affected. Jesus is our one Savior who, who, through whose actions we all have been profoundly affected in the opposite direction. Just as in Adam we all die, in Christ all are made alive. But is the comparison equal? Like on a scale, one of those old school scales with the two dishes that hang from the pole where you have to put one thing in one dish and the thing you put in the other dish has to weigh exactly the same in order for it to balance out. Is that what Jesus did? Adam sinned and he put his sin and unrighteousness on one side and Jesus came to put his righteousness on the other side to just cancel it out. Do you have a zero balance with God? Are you back to square one? Did, God, did Jesus come to give you a blank slate? That's not Paul's perspective. He says the gift far outweighs the trespass. That how much does God's grace overflow to the many? 
What's he saying? Adam did something that we all do. He disobeyed. Jesus did something that we cannot do. He obeyed. You saw that in the gospel lesson. Jesus obeyed God's will even when face to face with the devil. Why did he do it? Because he was giving to God what God demands of each of us. Righteousness, perfection, holiness in your place. Jesus did something that you cannot, have not, and will not contribute to. Righteousness in God's sight but then he gives it to you as if it's yours. That's why the grace of God overflows because what Jesus has done for you far outweighs what Adam did. It far outweighs what you have done. Think of it. Every act of disobedience you have ever committed to God's will completely wiped away in the righteousness of Christ. Every sin you have ever committed is completely forgiven because of what Christ has done. Christ's love, his righteousness, and his grace now cover your entire life. You're not back at square one. You're already done in God's sight. Jesus doesn't just set you off on a good path. He has walked the path for you so you know where you're going. Jesus didn't just set you up for success. He is your success, your victory in God's sight. You have won You're a winner in God's sight because you are righteous through Christ. But did you catch the most beautiful, most important thing of what Paul said here? Who was in charge before? Death. Because if you're apart from Christ, it is the fear of death that rules your life. And everything you do is a struggle to try to deal with with the fact that you're going to die. And that's a consequence of your sin. But you who are in Christ, what does death mean? Yes, we will still die, but what comes after? Victory, glory, peace with God, everlasting. So what fear does death hold for us who are in Christ? Now, it doesn't mean we, we don't want to be smart. You don't go walking into traffic saying, I don't fear death. You don't decline your seatbelt saying, I don't fear death. But who's in charge now? It's not death. The fear of death no longer need to be the ruling philosophy of your life. But Jesus reigns. But Paul says something even more profound. He says, you reign. You are the kings and queens now. Because now that the fear of death is relinquished, you are free. You are free to live as an eternal being who is going to heaven through Jesus. You are free to live according to God's will for you because you know it's going to be worth it in the end in in your Lord Jesus. You reign because death's reign is over. But I'm willing to bet it doesn't feel like that. Willing to bet it doesn't feel like you reign. Because no matter what happens, no matter how many promotions you get, you still feel like someone is in charge and is able to bark orders at you. 
No matter how, how much success you have in your life, there always seems to be some kind of setback. Don't some of you feel like you're just life's punching bags, that things keep happening? doesn't feel like we reign. And that's true. We don't reign in the sense that we have complete control over our lives. But we do in the sense that we know who does. And we know that he is victorious. And we know that he loves us. You reign in this sense. That whatever you're stressed out about right now, whatever is bothering you, whatever is making you feel guilty, you know that in Jesus, it is temporary. It will not follow you into the grave and beyond. But what is forever? God's grace. God's love for you, proven on the cross of Jesus. Jesus' glorious resurrection for you that guarantees your future life with him eternally in heaven. You reign because you win. Because Jesus has won and you will win. You are victorious in Christ. Take that to your stress, to your burdens, to your worries, to your guilt. Take that to Satan himself if he tries to throw your past back in your face. Take that to your sinful nature. Take the glory and the grace of God with you. Your future victory is your present victory. Paul concludes our lesson by saying, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. What was the defining moment in your life? Was it when you first had, had your first child? Was it when you got married? Was it when you bought your house? Was it when you made it through basic training? Was it when you got that promotion? Was it when you gave your dissertation? When was that moment that has defined who you are? Before Christ, Adam's disobedience was our defining moment, and death was in charge. But now that you are in Christ, what defines you in God's sight is his innocence and righteousness for you. That's what justification means, brothers and sisters. That you are declared innocent in God's sight apart from anything you have done, but 100% what Christ has done for you. That's who you are now. That defines who you are in God's sight. Death need no longer control you, nor sin, nor the devil, because now Jesus is in charge. Death's reign is done. Jesus has won. Amen.